Hell yeah. Gotta start off this episode, right? Shouts to you Incubus fans. Gotta start out with a little bit of R.U.N. from the Morning View album. Man, this Saturday, guys, I was able to catch the fights, but I'm not gonna lie, wasn't as locked in as I usually am because my girlfriend Nora, man, shouts to her, she made the day an incredible one. Over the last couple years, obviously with the pandemic and shit like that, bands haven't been able to do their thing and, and tour like they normally are. A few years ago, Nora took me to the concert for the Make Yourself 20 year anniversary at the Greek Theater. And this year was the anniversary for 20 years of Morning View. They weren't able to do a traditional concert, but they recorded a live stream front to back, played the album from the original Morning View house in Malibu. And uh, so Nora and I decided to make a, make a day of it, I guess, and go sh- shoot up to Malibu, check it out, take a picture of the Morning View sign, the Morning View house, check that out. And uh, yeah, we took a picture of the coastline. A little bit of uh, overkill if you're not as big of a fan as I am as Vancubus, but definitely my favorite band. And uh, shouts to Nora again for making the day. One hell of a fun one and one that I soon won't forget, even though they couldn't have a traditional concert. So celebrating 20 years since the release of the album Morning View, figured start off the episode with one of my all-time favorite songs from the album. But it was tough. There's just too many to choose. It's definitely one of those albums like 40 Ounces of Freedom where you could just hit play from the beginning and let that shit go. So I wanted to start off the episode like this and uh, let you guys know, again, I I was locked in. I had my phone with me. Another thing that was awesome, I was able to watch the fights throughout the day. Had an awesome breakfast on the actual beach. I don't remember the name of it. Oh, Paradise Cove Cafe. It was amazing. And I'm not trying to brag or anything. And I'm definitely looking for brownie points. My chick barely even listens to the podcast unless I give her crap about it. I mean, to be fair, she does get a lot of MMA in her life, being my girlfriend and all watching fights every Saturday, but that's neither here or there, so for those of you who are here, appreciate you. Let's get into it. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Episode 108 of the podcast, we got Costa versus Vittori happened last weekend, and then next weekend we got UFC 267, 15 fight offering at this point, unless some fall off. Jan Blakovich is taking on Glover Teixeira in the main event for the light heavyweight title. And Peter Jan is taking on Corey Sanhagen in the co-main event for the interim bantamweight strap. We got Islam Makashev versus Dan Hooker. The return of Kazmat Shemaev and much more. So we got a lot of things to discuss. Before we do, thanks Dave DeCorsi and the DeCorsi Group. Guys, if you need to take any cash out of the equity of your home or get a loan in order to purchase a home, make sure to support the people that support the podcast. Go to www.thedecorsigroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. And let them know the DLSS podcast sets you in. would definitely help us out a lot. So thanks again, Dave. I appreciate you and that ongoing support. But with that out of the way, no time to waste, guys. We're going to get into it. Without further ado, let's get into the recap for Vittori versus Costa. Again, with a small caveat because I was a slight bit preoccupied. But we're definitely going to get into it. Definitely going to talk about the main event. A couple of the fights on that card. and uh, But we got to burn through them because 15 fights coming from UFC 267. That's a lot of fights to break down. Plus, there's a few really fun matchups I want to get into. Again, I mentioned the return of Kosmat Shmaev in that card. So I want to make sure to spend my focus on that preview and giving my picks for UFC 267 next week. Give the proper attention to the proper banger of a card. This one and the following UFC 268. Damn, we're going to be spoiled for the next few weeks. So I'm fucking pumped. But before we look ahead too far and get ahead of ourselves here, we got to look back to last weekend. Marvin Vittori secures a unanimous decision victory over Paulo Costa in the main event of their fight night. And then Ricky Glenn and Grant Dawson fight to a majority decision draw in the co-main event. 
Jessica Rose Clark gets a good win over Jocelyn Edwards. Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres upsets the odds once again and gets a submission in the second round over Sungwoo Choi. Francisco Trinaldo turns back the clock and gets a victory over Dwight Grant. Nicolau Negromanu secures a first-round KO of Ike Villanueva, 1 minute 18 seconds. That was short and sweet. Gregory Rodriguez, Jung Young Park, secured fight of the night. Even though the fight ended the second round, this guy was insane. Back and forth action, throwback, rock'em, sock'em until somebody dropped. Mason Jones gets a good victory over David Onama. Tabitha Ricci over Maria Oliveira. Jamie Pickett ends up getting an underdog win over Lorino Staropoli. Jai Herbert puts away Kamal Worthy in the first round by TKO. Jeff L. Jefe Molina takes out Daniel De- Del Silva in the second round, 46 seconds of the second round by TKO. KO Ronda Marcos ends up getting an underdog victory over Lavinia Souza in the second fight of the night. And Jonathan Martinez did end up getting rebooked against Vyad Lalashvili. Uh, and he was actually 12-0 and coming into this fight, Zviad was. Jonathan Martinez ended up being the underdog in this spot, coming away with a unanimous decision victory. So that's the quick recap of the results. Of course, I want to talk a little bit about the main event here, but I think another way I could recap the fight card real quickly and short to the point would be to hit you with some more music and recap the points for the predictions challenge. I don't know what to tell you. I'm blessed. I just cannot miss over the last few weeks, guys. I'm on fire. This last week, man, that Grant Dawson draw, I went 10-3-1 overall for the win-loss. Yes, I got the win-loss bonus. We're going to go through it one by one, talk about the ones that did give me points. Starting with the recap of the year-to-date points. Last week, we went into the week 257 for me. 254 right behind me was Nate and then Jose trailing at 233. Marvin Vittori in the main event, I only got one point because I did think he was going to finish it inside the distance, so it didn't get the correct method. Plus, he was the favorite, so just the one point there. And with Grant Dawson and Rick Glenn going to a draw, you know what that means, no points for anybody. But then, Jessica Rose Clark, Nigga Romanu, Rodriguez, Jones, Ricci, and Herbert, and El Jefe Molina were all favorites that I had picked. So each of those picks got me one point, not to mention opening up the card with Randa Marcos and Jonathan Martinez both being underdogs and both coming through with two points apiece. Nobody ended up getting the fight of the night right, so minus one for everyone there. So at the end of this week for UFC Fight Night, Vittori versus Costa, I came away with 12 points. Nate came in with four, and Jose had a good showing with nine. Year-to-date total points are as follows. I have 269 in the lead. Nate's got 258. Jose is trailing with 242 points. I have 216 wins, 155 losses, six draws, and four no contests. So we got seven more events, guys, to go until the end of the year, until this year's second annual predictions challenge is wrapped up. So it's any, still anybody's game. There are bonuses to be had. You can go for it for fight of the night up to five points any night you choose. So not all is lost. It's still anybody's game. And Jose, you can still catch up and clinch that $200, brother. I'm rooting for you, but I am not letting up. I'm going to keep pushing. And uh, before we get into the huge, massive car that is UFC 267 coming from Abu Dhabi, since I pretty much just burned through the recap and just gave you guys primarily the results, I do want to talk about uh, the main event, Marvin Vittori. I mean, what can you say about this guy? Uh, consummate professional. I mean, I think he earned a lot of fans over the weekend. He's kind of known for being like the guy from the Goonies, fucking, you know, just kind of a Neanderthal-type guy and just, you know, doesn't have very much intellect. He just goes in there with brute, brute force and stuff like that. But I feel like... Over the course of how he handled this situation with uh, Costa missing weight, not even attempting to make weight, coming in 20 pounds over, ending up like, you know, negotiating 190, then 195, then 205, and just 
you know, in the end, being able for Costa saying he had a bicep injury, like how does that keep you from jogging or keep you from losing weight? That's ridiculous. But he also, Costa in this case, was able to go a total of five rounds with a pretty heavy pace. So, you know, for him not attempting to make weight and being able to have that good of uh, cardio for over five rounds, I think Marvin Vittori is actually accurate when he suspects there might have been some foul play and a slight bit of intent going on there. And there's, you know, greasy theory that everyone knew that they were the main attraction of this card and it was hashtag just some fights otherwise, for the most part, no disrespect to the other fights on this card, but that, you know, he kind of knew he was in a position of leverage that the UFC was going to want to make this fight happen. And he's just go full leaning into a heel and doesn't give a fuck if he pisses off the brass. There's even rumors that he might want to fight out his contract or get released and go, you know, seek money elsewhere. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I've already spent too much time talking about Paulo Costa's name shouldn't even be uttered on anybody's podcast. I think that's completely disgusting of what he did. It's like basically sanctioned cheating. And, you know, credit is 100% in Marvin Vittori's favor because look at this. I'll even like take away the entire huge situation that is the fact that he came into this fight completely undersized and that Costa came in with a pretty much 15, 20 pound weight advantage. And, uh, and the fact that Marvin Vittori was able to withstand those fucking tree trunks that were flying his way, those kicks. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever done tie pads before, if you've ever trained in Muay Thai. Even with huge-ass tie pads, if you were to hold pads for Costa, you would be going away with your fucking forearms bruised, if not broken. Like, you know, it would be sore for at least a week, like, easily. So I have a ton of respect for Vittori and his durability and his heart and his willingness to just keep pushing forward, you know, aside from all the outside of the actual fight circumstances leading up to it and, you know, with the disadvantages he had going into this fight. You know, he's been probably calorie cutting and trying to slim down and actually get, you know, within shooting distance of the of actually getting to 185 like he was supposed to and he signed a contract for. So, you know, even with him not having to cut and still being able to both come in weighing at 204 the day before the fight, you saw Costa was in a, you know, one of those personal saunas and he was cutting to get down to 204. And so, you know, at the end of the day, even without all of those circumstances, Vittori proved once again that he's got championship mentality, championship heart, championship cardio, going all five rounds, being able to kind of stick to a game plan. I mean, these guys did kind of just come forward, a couple of marauders. That's why it was such an entertaining fight. And at the end of the day, you know, when it would start to get a little bit wild and into a brawl, Marvin Vittori would reset, stick to the jab, use his, uh, you know, his advantage in terms of footwork and angles and fight IQ to, you know, reset the action and not, let it just because, of course, Costa was trying to bait him into a brawl because that was going to be his one and only shot, uh, you know, throughout this fight because he was he was outgunned in terms of the technical skills on the feet and Vittori wasn't able to really utilize much of the grappling and the and the takedowns. I mean, here and there he was clinching him and and slowing down the fight because uh, there were a few times, you know, credit to Vittori's chin that he was taking those heavy ass shots. He did take a few shots as well, and it was incredible to see both guys, you know, were able to take all that damage and give us. A five-round war. I'm surprised it, it didn't end up being main, uh, fight of the night. You know, I'm sure Jose was a little bitter about that too, because that was his pick for fight of the night. But uh, it was an all-action-packed fight, very entertaining. But Marvin Vittori definitely came away uh, on the right side of the scorecards. And if you guys saw the fight, I don't, you know, it's zero had zero effect on the fight and the overall outcome in the end. That um, Costa ended up getting a point taken for an eye poke. And credit to Jason Herzog, man. I know we don't like to see the refs interject themselves. Uh, that much into fights we want to just see the action play out but there's a lot of people you know the co-main event podcast that chad dundas always refers to it as dundaso and like i can get away with one eye poke one groin kick and one fence grab without actually getting a point taken and it's like you know you really got to do something to try to address these things especially when fighters go in there knowing that 
they they can get a few warnings and not get a point taken and still you know what they ended up doing most likely ends up changing the outcome of the fight or having a significant impact on the fight so credit to jason herzog for trying to do something and being you know extremely firm and a lot of people including mark ratner and i give him credit for this have uh you know made sure to express that the the first warning actually happens in the background in the dressing rooms before the fights even start like they express the rules even though they're aware they say them again and they say this is your first warning don't do this don't do this don't do this listen to my instructions you know so a lot of people do argue for when the the fouls take place in the actual fight that that technically doesn't deserve another warning and you got to be firm and i think that will set a signal anybody that knows that jason herzog's ref in their fight they're not going to get away with one so to keep their fingers in or don't be grabbing the fence and shit like that so you know, it's an evolving sport. It's an evolving situation with regards to refereeing and trying to police, uh, you know, these fouls and stuff like that. So I'm just happy that somebody decided to do something to, to really, I, I feel like, try to positively and in good faith affect change. So he was, if you watched, he was consistent earlier in the night with the um, Sung Woo Choi fight versus Alex Caceres. It wasn't even that devastating of a knee, but he did take a knee while uh, uh, still technically being a grounded opponent. Caceres did, so... You know, even without an additional warning or anything other than it just taking place, significant or not, he felt like, you know, you take a knee to the dome as a down opponent, it's going to affect the outcome of the fight somewhat. So he went ahead and took a point there, too. So he was consistent throughout the night. You know, some people talked about, oh, he was just taking a point to try to, you know, punish Costa for his weight situation. But no, like earlier on in the fight or earlier, earlier on in the night, rather, Jason Herzog was consistent with his behavior. So. I'm all for it, and uh, I, in the end, mathematically, if you look at the rounds and the judges' scorecards, it absolutely had zero effect on the outcome, so it's kind of a moot point. There's much to do about nothing here. But even for fear of repeating myself, you know, I just want to make sure to give Marvin Vittori all the credit. He's got a, a you know, a, he increased my affinity for him as a fan, you know. I thought I respected him as a fighter and his skills in the octagon, but it was just kind of blah or whatever about his personality, and I know he's trying to kind of play it up. Everyone's got to have somewhat of a character in the media, but... Uh, after this weekend and just the way that he handled the situation yet you know what i mean like uh, i got more respect for him and you know credit to him for putting on a tough fight with a 205er you know what i mean this was a, a light heavyweight fight and uh you know i'm looking forward to seeing him come back down to 185 and and uh i i, I don't really know who they're going to put him up against next because you know the guy has two losses to the current champion so if uh, israel adesanya doesn't somehow get dethroned it's going to be tough um, Vittori's going to have to win a, a few more, a couple more, just to get back to another title shot. But for now, I'm sure he's just going to go rest up. He had a bit of a brutal fight, and, you know, he took so many kicks to the body and so many kicks on the forearms, like I was saying earlier, with the tie, ba- tie pads. Like, dude, I cannot believe his forearms aren't broken or his ribs aren't broken. Um, you know, and in that fifth round, he was, with all the, the heavy pace he had kept up in those first four rounds, he was looking a little tired and looking like, survival mode and costa was trying to come on i mean where was that earlier in the fight costa you didn't have to cut weight you know like if you were gonna go for it you should have went for it you know earlier in the fight when you were more fresh but you know he knows he's got gas tank issues and i feel like he looked a little bit lost out there truth be told uh and he was just waiting to hopefully bait vittori into a brawl and then you know he has a puncher's chance at that point and uh vittori you know at times because it's his natural tendency to want to get down um he was able to reset the action like i said and uh do what he had to do, use his jab and his angles, and, uh, you know, make sure to win. Like, he talked about how he was gassed afterwards and he's never been tired before and stuff like that. He's carrying, like, 15 pounds, 12, 20 pounds almost more weight than he normally does in a fight. And, you know, that was a grueling fight, so uh, credit to him. And, uh, you know, that we'll cross that bridge when we come to it as far as who he 
fights next, but for now, rest up. And for anybody who's ever had to cut weight before, you know, they were definitely on his side this weekend. And shouts to him for being a, a consummate professional and taking the fight regardless of all of the wacky circumstances on the other side. So congrats to Marvin Vittori again, and we'll see where he goes from here. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, I did see a poll on Chael Sonnen's page that said that uh, out of like five different fighters, the highest percentage said they wanted to see him face uh, Sean Strickland, which that would be a bloodbath too. So let me know what you guys think, that fight or any others you think would be a good uh, next spot for him. Uh, but moving on, uh, I think that's that's all I'm going to do as far as digging into the UFC fight night card from the previous weeks because, again, we got 15 fights to get into, a lot of crazy fights, the return of Hazmat Chemaev. If you guys, you know, a little bit of a foreshadowing with the uh, predictions challenge music there, if you guys know what I'm saying with that, if you're in the know, you'll know who I'm going with in the co-main event. And then, of course, the main event, Glover Teixeira, old man Glover, 42 years old. I think it's his third title shot facing Jan Blakovich, who has just come into his own uh, as of late in the last couple years, light heavyweight champ. So uh, I'm really excited to break this card down. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back, start at the bottom, burn through the undercard, and then uh, dig a little bit deeper towards the top. We're going to knock this out. So give me one second. I'll be right back. What's up? I'm back here to give you my picks for UFC 267, one of the first non-pay-per-view numbered UFC cards in a very long time. They don't normally bless us like this. We got this one, plus very next week we got UFC 268, which is a pay-per-view, and this one's coming to you, uh, UFC 267, that is, from Eddie Howard Arena in Abu Dhabi with the main card going off at 11 a.m. Pacific time, and the prelims are the literal early prelims this week. Starting at 7.30 a.m., we're going to have your coffee and fights, coffee and combat, well, just the way I like it. So that's the UFC 267 this coming weekend. We got Glover Teixeira taking on Jan Blakovich for the light heavyweight strap. Good on Glover, man, 42 years old. I think this is his ter- third title fight. Uh, and then we got Peter Jan versus Corey Sanhagen for the interim bantamweight strap in the se- in the co-main event. Then we got Islam Makhachev taking on Dan Hooker, Alexander Volkov, Marcin Tabura, the leech Li Jing Lang versus the returning Kazmat Chemaev. Magomed Ankalaev, Volkan Ozdemir, light heavyweight scrap, Amanda Ribas, or I'm sorry, Hibas versus Vera Janjaroba. Uh, just a bunch of fun fights on this card. This is definitely a, a hard course to light, but we're going to get into it. This is definitely top five most difficult uh, fight cards for pronunciation. There's all kinds of like Russians and Eastern European guys. It's just very difficult, but we're going to get through it. And uh, I guess just what I'm saying is please forgive me if you know, I butcher these names as I go through. But no time to waste. Starting off at the bottom, we're going to go Tagir Ulabetkov versus Alan Nascimento. Starting off the night with a pretty wide spread. The minus 340 favorite for Ulabetkov versus the plus 260 underdog for Nascimento. Uh, all intents and purposes in terms of like the if you look at the betting sharps, if you look at this fight on paper, a lot of people seem to think that uh, the surging Tagir Uledbetkov is going to come in and make easy work of Nascimento. I don't necessarily think it's going to be like that. I think this line is a little bit wide for my taste. But I do think that the favorite is going to come away with the victory here. So I'm going with Tagir Uledbetkov. I say the four-fight winning streak extends to five. So give me the favorite, Tagir Uledbetkov, in the opening fight of the night. So moving on up, the second fight is Magomed Mustafaev. Versus Demir Ismagulov. The 23-1 and favorite, minus 275 favorite, Ismagulov. Taking on the plus 210 underdog underdog for Magomed Mustafaev. Kazakhstan versus Russia in this spot. Uh, Ismagulov is the heavy favorite for good reason. 23-1, and only one loss back in 2015. 
Most of his lo- or most of his fights and wins coming from M1 Challenge. And similarly to the fighter in the opening bout of the night, the favorite Tagir Ulanbekov, he is also on a four-fight winning streak. But his four-fight winning streak is in the UFC. And I also think his four-fight winning streak will extend to five as well. So give me the heavy favorite, Igz Magulov, to get the win here. And then we have Andre Petrovsky versus Hu Yaozong. Yaozong's the underdog here, I believe, plus 160 to the minus 190 favorite for Andre Petrovsky. Petrovsky's only got one fight in the UFC. Yaozong's only got two. Yaozong's coming off two losses, and Petrovsky's coming off a single win back in August of this year where I believe, if I'm correct here, Yaozong is coming off a four-year layoff. So... This one's, in my opinion, straightforward. Yozong got taken down in one of his fights four times and ended up getting uh, the loss there. So I think it's going to look similar, maybe even inside the distance. Petrovsky's most recent win comes from TKO from elbows from the top. So I'm going to go with the chalky pick, third time in a row, Andre Petrovsky to come out on top. And then we have Maquan Amirkani versus Lorone Murphy, the plus 260 underdog Amirkani, 16-6 and six overall, uh, facing Minus 340 favorite, 10 and 0 and 1 now contest, Lerone Murphy. And as much as I want to go for Mr. Finland in this spot, he's got a lot of talent. He's really, you know, developing his striking and his uh, jujitsu is really good, but his wrestling isn't quite there. And he always seems to make poor fight IQ decisions. He's just not consistent and unreliable from a betting standpoint. Again, he's got talent, he's got skills, he deserves to be in the UFC, but he just, you know, hasn't had a lot of success back and forth, up and down record. So I got to go with the uh, hot up-and-coming prospect, Lerone Murphy, undefeated thus far in his career. He's coming off of, uh, he's won four of his last five, but one of those was a draw. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I get the feeling that Lerone Murphy's going to do well. His two fights that he's coming off of, uh, that he's won recently, are both over really tough competition. And he was scheduled to face Charles Jordan a couple times, although that fight got canceled. Not exactly sure why, but he beat Ricardo Hamos back in 2020. And in January of this year, 2021, he's got a win over Douglas De Silva de Andrade. So I think that is uh, some pretty tough competition for his uh, short amount of time in the UFC. The draw is to Zabira Tagugov, who is a force as well, upcoming prospect in the UFC. So I'm going to be going with Lerone Murphy in this one. But moving along, uh, wish me luck on this one, guys. Uh, Mikhail Oleksandrchuk versus Shamil Gamsadov, the 15-4 and four underdog plus 140 underdog. Oleksandrchuk is taking on the minus 165 favorite, 14-0, and 0, Shamil Gamzadov. And I think this one's pretty evenly matched, and I think the line's reflected. Very small spread here, and I think this one's, uh, you know, there's so many fights on the card. I, I don't know how uh, this early could I say potential for fight of the night, but a lot of these matchups, especially with these uh, lesser-known guys, they're going to come out and scrap on this big card, big opportunity for them, and especially in this neck of the woods, you know. So, it, uh Gamzadov is coming off a five-fight winning streak, and um, I don't know. I don't. I think uh, Alexechuk is a live dog. I think he's probably way better on the feet. And if Shamil can't get this to the ground and nullify uh, Mikhail's offense, I think he might be in some trouble on the feet. So I'm actually going to go for the underdog in this spot. I think it's a close enough of a fight, and uh, it's a 30-foot octagon. It's a bigger cage. Uh, I think Mikhail will be able to move around enough, and if he keeps it standing, um, you know, he possibly could catch. Gamzadov, but I just I think it's worth it for the underdog points in the spot. It's that close of a fight, so give me Alexekchik for the win. And then the next one, I'm actually really torn on. We have a known commodity in Alezu Zaleski dos Santos, uh, 22 and seven overall versus Benoit Saint Denis, who's eight and zero with one no contest. 
obviously a lot more experience on the side of Dos Santos, but this guy Saint Denis is coming out of France and he's just you know he's undefeated and he's putting a lot of people away with submissions. He's, as long as he can take him down and he's really dangerous on the ground. And again, I don't tend to I try not to put too much credence in the octagon size, but it does play an effect. And I feel like at the apex, people can get a hold of people better. And at a 30-footer, someone that's going to want to try to stick on the outside and uh, utilize dynamic striking and movement is going to have a better case uh, in the larger octagon. So I think that the known commodity in this case, uh, Dos Santos, 22-7, and seven, is probably going to get the win here. He should get the win here. But, you know, if he gets himself into a tough spot on the ground, it's going to be risky. Um, so, you know, X factor is this guy, uh, St. Denis. Don't know a lot about him. Regional scene is mostly in France and then Brave FC. So... Uh, don't really know what to expect, but uh, I'm going to go with the Dos Santos for the win here. Let me double-check real quick the odds. He is a slight favorite at minus 185, Dos Santos is. So going with the favorite here to get it done. And then moving along, we have Roman Kopilov versus Albert Duraev. Uh This one, actually, I, I, I'm not necessarily in agreement with these odds here. It's plus 210 underdog for Kopilov to the minus 275 favorite for uh, Duraev. I think, obviously, they're looking at the momentum because Derive is coming off of a five-fight winning streak and Kopilov is won four out of his last five. Most recent fight is a loss. Um, there's a big experience discrepancy, not huge, but 14-3 overall for Derive to the 8-1 and one for Kopilov. And while I do think that the favorite Derive should, quotes, air quotes, should win this fight, uh, I would not be surprised one bit if Kopilov comes through as an underdog um, you know, he's that one loss that he's coming off of. It was to Carl Roberson. So uh, he's really tough, even though he hasn't been in the UFC very long. Uh, so I, I'm struggling with this one. I may end up switching and going with the underdog. I have to take a look at the weigh-ins. But for now, I'm going to go Chalky again. And I think Albert Duraev, uh does get the win, even if it is just uh, squeaking by in a, in a close decision. But give me Duraev in this one. Which takes us to the next one, which is a, a fighter we were talking about earlier, Zabira Tagugov. Versus Ricardo Ramos, uh, the 19-5 and Tugugov versus 15-3 and Ramos. Uh, Tugugov is a slight favorite, minus 165 to the plus 140 underdog for, for Ramos. Um, I actually, I might actually go with the underdog in this spot too. I think Ramos is more dynamic on the feet. Tugugov is the better wrestler and may be able to grind out a decision or take him down and eventually ground and pound him or submit him. But I think that Ramos has uh, got good submission defense, better movement. And as long as he comes in in shape, I think he might actually get this one done. I do, however, think he needs to get it done inside the distance, though, because you don't want to be going to the judge's scorecard and what I would consider to be like the home field advantage. I know it doesn't really come into play, at least it shouldn't, but you never know. You got some greasy decisions sometimes. So uh, they're unregulated or self-regulated in this part of the world. So my hope is that he knows this and he's coming in, you know, looking for the finish. And I think as long as he can keep it standing, I honestly think, or even, you know, take Tugugov's back at some point, I think he honestly is capable of taking him out. He's got a four-inch reach advantage and a one-inch height advantage. And um, I don't know. I I just, I think this is a little bit of a biased pick. I'm not a big fan of Tugugov generally. So, um, you know, Buyer beware in terms of my pick here, but I'm going with Ricardo Ramos to get the win. And now, guys, we've reached the main event of the prelims. Like, we're still in the prelims here. Nine fights in, and we're coming to the main event of the prelims again, which is Amanda Hibas versus Verna Janjiroba. Slight favorite, minus 155. Hibas, 10-2 overall versus the 17-2 overall, plus 130 underdog, Verna Janjiroba. Janjiroba has not been in the UFC all that long, but she's done very well in a short amount of time in the UFC. 
Uh, let's see. First made her UFC debut uh, back in 2019, so not too long ago. And her only two losses are against Carla Esparza and Mackenzie Dern. Most recently, though, she bounced back with a win in, in June of this last year against Kanako Murata. But in this fight, she's going up against another hot upcoming prospect. Once uh, almost a t- almost to a title shot in Amanda Hibas, also made her UFC debut in 2019. And she just hit the ground running. She ends up uh, string, stringing together several wins over Emily Whitmire. And then uh, she actually has a win over Mackenzie Dern, win over Ronda Marcos, win over Paige Van Zandt. But then recently in uh, January of this last year, 2021, Hibas suffered her first UFC loss, second career loss against uh, Marina Rodriguez, who we just recently saw, who's looked great and got a, a good win over Mackenzie Dern in her main event spot. And likely is probably going to be challenging for the belt soon. So obviously only losing to tough competition. Both of these ladies only losing for, uh, to tough competition. So Amanda Hibas is looking to bounce back and get a big win, get back on track and put herself right back there in place to hopefully get a title shot soon. But not if Vernon Jandroba has anything to say about it. I don't know, man. This one's gonna. This is actually pretty tough for me to pick. Um, I think there's definitely um, value in the underdog Janjaroba. I think she's going to make it tough in some spots for Hebus. She might even put Hebus on her back uh, at some points in the fight. But uh, I am going to go with the favorite Hebus to get it done. I think she's got the better striking acumen. The 30-foot cage might come into play here. Uh, same height, but a slight three-inch reach advantage for Hebus. And, uh, yeah, I think she's going to be technical. I think she's going to be really eager to get back in the win column. And I think that's going to... Uh, result in her being extremely focused and sticking to the game plan, which in this case, going up against Verna, understanding her strengths, is more than likely going to want to keep it on the feet for the most part. So give me Amanda Hebas here for the win. And that finishes up the prelims, and now we turn our attention to a six-fight main card, which is going to be one hell of a, a main card. The entire fight card is stacked, but this main card in particular has a lot of explosive matchups. Opening up the main card, curtain jerker is Magomed Ankalaev, versus Vulcan Ozdemir, light heavyweight bout. Then we have the Leech Lijing Lang taking on Kazmat Shemaev. Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tibera. Islam Makashev, Dan Hooker, like I said earlier. Peter Jan, Corey Sanhagen, and then Jan Blakovich, Glover Teixeira. So you guys better not miss out on this one. Starting off at the bottom, though, um, Ankalev versus Ozdemir. Let's take a look at the odds real quick. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, so the minus 350 favorite, Ankalaev, 15-1 and one overall, versus the 17-5 and five former title uh, challenger, plus 260 underdog, Vulcan Ozdemir. So um, I expected this line to be a bit closer, although I actually do think it's lined appropriately, like as far as who's the favorite or who's the underdog. But um, I thought that they were going to, the odds makers, maybe the casual fans, I don't know who I thought, would uh, maybe overlook Ankalaev a little bit in this spot. I thought I was going to get some underdog points here. But I guess he is on a five-fight winning streak, and uh, Ozdemir is coming off a loss in his last fight. So I am going to back the favorite again in this spot. Give me Magomed Ankalaev for the victory here. And which now takes us to one of the most, if not the most, intriguing fight on the card to a lot of people. Uh, everyone's interested to see the return of Kamzat Shemaev. He's facing Lee Jinglang, the leech, who is all action all the time, 100% go, as I like to say. And Shemaev, man, he's a really interesting character. He came into the scene back at Fight Island in July of 2020, and July 15th and July 25th, first person to do a 10-day turnaround before recently Godinez, I think, did an 8-day turnaround. But 10-day turnaround, fought at both welterweight and middleweight, uh, beat John Phillips and Reese McGee, and it took a total, I think, of one shot in between both of those fights. 
and then in, ends up coming back in September of the same year and takes out Gerald Mearsha in a mere 17 seconds. So this guy's been a little bit of an anomaly uh, in his very short-lived, you know, three fights in three months career. Uh, you know, he hasn't been, fought since. He did get COVID, and uh, there was talks of even him potentially walking away from the sport. But now he's back, and I think he, at least for now, settled uh, in the welterweight weight class, 170 pounds, again, against the leech. And I think this fight is going to be all action until somebody goes down. And I tend to think that is going to win this fight, but don't count out uh, Li Jingliang. He will not be intimidated, and he's going to come out and bring the heat. So this one is definitely one you're not going to want to blink. If it actually lasts longer than a round, round and a half, then it very well could easily be fight of the night. But it's my feeling that somebody's going to end up getting put out. So uh, I'm going to go with Kamzat. I think uh, we only have just seen the tip of the iceberg of what this guy's uh, capable of. And he's been uh, he moved, and he's been training, I believe, in Vegas. I think in Extreme Couture, Eric Nixick and uh, hasn't like split with his original team, All-Stars, in Sweden, but... You know, just when he's in the United States and probably for travel restrictions, I think he's been uh, here for a considerable amount of time. But anyways, I think he's just rounding out his game. He's only getting better. He's actually uh, very young for the division, and I think he's got a long career ahead of him if he chooses. If this guy stays focused and motivated, uh, we might see him for a long time. And so far, he's 9-0 overall in MMA, three of those wins coming in the UFC, like I said, within a span of three months. And Li Jing Lang is coming into this fight, winning four out of his last five. Uh, recently getting a big win over Santiago Ponzinibbio uh, in January of this last year, 2021. So I think as long as the leech doesn't get like too wild and uh, or who knows, fuck it, maybe overwhelming Chimaev is something that he's never had happen to him before. You never know. But I think this fight is actually going to be quite competitive and uh, extremely fun to watch. That's for sure. And so in terms of the odds, I think uh, the line is a little bit wider than I would have expected. Although, yeah, I did I did think that uh, Hamzat would probably come out being the favorite, but he's a minus 450 favorite to the plus 330 underdog for uh, the leech. So I'm just, that's a little bit wider than I would have expected. And I don't think that's accurate reflection of how competitive I think this fight's going to be. Uh, so definitely one you don't want to miss. Uh, I am going with Chimaev here, but don't count out the leech, man. He's a gamer and he brings it. So, uh, but the pick is Chimaev for the win. And then the fights just keep getting more and more interesting from here. The next one, heavyweights, Alexander Volkov, 33-9 and overall versus Marcin Taibura, 22-6. and So a couple veterans, a couple guys that have been around the block and know a thing or two about performing on the big stage. They've been doing it for a long time. So I want to take a look at this one right now. It looks like uh, minus 300 favorite for Alexander Volkov to the plus 245 underdog for Marcin Taibura. This is kind of like the last one in terms of the odds where I do think Volkov should be the favorite, but I think this is much closer. I mean, I'm talking like minus 100, like an even money underdog, plus 100 for Tybura, like very, very close if I were to be handicapping this fight. Um, I think that Tybura has been putting things together as of late and looking really, really good. His finishing instincts are coming along. He's finished the last few of his fights, uh, the last fight against Walt Harris back in June of this last year, 2021. And then previous to that, in December of 2020, he uh, finished Greg Hardy inside the distance as well. So I'm, I'm really liking him in this spot. I think there's a potential uh, value on him as an underdog, only because I think Volkov does tend to leave his chin a little bit high. He's uh, he had a tendency to get away with that over the years, being a little bit of a taller, lankier guy. I mean, little bit. The guy's fucking seven feet tall, damn near seven feet tall. So 
Um, I just think it's one of those things that there's a liability out there that maybe Tybura could potentially uh, exploit and in the end could end up biting Volkov in the ass. But that four-inch height and three-inch reach advantage, I think, is something that, to be of concern to Tybura and his camp, especially, again, bringing it up again in that 30-foot octagon. I think uh, it can be potentially a, a bigger difference for these bigger guys where in the small octagon, you know, three, four steps, they're on already on the opposite side of it and getting each other up against the fence if needed. So I think that, you know, could potentially play into Volkov's favor in this matchup. But if you look at it, Tibura is coming off a five-fight winning streak. And again, that most recent win was a big one for him. And uh, Volkov is actually coming off a loss in his most recent fight. He uh, faced Surreal Gone, who is now the UFC interim heavyweight title holder and fighting for the undisputed title against uh, Francis Ngannou, most likely in Anaheim at UFC 270 in January. So you best believe I'm going to be going to that shit. But in his fight with Alexander Volkov, Surreal Gone just utilized better footwork and dynamic movement to touch and, and win a point battle uh, over the course of five rounds. And uh, Volkov really didn't have much of an answer. And he, he didn't, you know, until later on in the fight, really... Uh, seemed like he wanted to open up and really go for it, which is not necessarily like him. So I hope it's not a thing, a sign of things to come. But uh, I am nervous about it because, again, I think this fight, uh, this line should be a hell of a lot closer. And Marcin Tybura is a very live dog in this spot. But I do think that Volkov is going to come back and get a win. I think he's going to be judicious about things, keep it uh, at distance, and end up grinding out a decision. So. I'm going to go with Alexander Volkov in this spot. And then for the next three, we're going to do a round and method of victory for all three of them. So for this next one, and then obviously the co-main and main event. Uh, but this one, uh, I might I don't know if it's going to surprise anybody. I don't know if it's a hot take. But I'm going to go with the huge underdog, Dan Hooker, to upset Islam Makachev in this fight. Dan Hooker, a plus 500 underdog in some spots, to the minus 700 favorite for Makachev. It is a three-round bout. If this was a five-round fight or a main event, I think that I'd be even more confident to go with Dan Hooker. But over the course of three rounds, it is going to be tough. He's going to have to thwart those takedowns. And he's going to have to fight off the cage, off the fence, and repeatedly do that for probably the first round and a half to two rounds and literally just get it to the point where Makachev is tired. And Dan Hooker's obviously going to be exhausted too at that point. So we're going to see if he's going to be able to withstand that pressure and withstand that pace that infamous Dagestani uh, wrestling pressure and I don't have any definitive evidence on this or anything like that but I have a I have a suspicion that Dan Hooker has been kind of somewhat sandbagging in the media so to speak like yes he definitely has had to deal with a lot of extreme uh, conditions and like restrictions with regards to COVID living in New Zealand he and the entire CKB team are in the process of potentially moving over to the United States because of these restrictions and Dan Hooker's still here from his last fight that he uh, recently had and won against uh, Nazrat Hakpras, having, you know, flown in like the day before uh, weigh-in. So, uh, you know, he's in a position where he's had to deal with a lot of adversity and he talks about how he's had to just train in his garage and he couldn't train at all. And, you know, he hasn't been doing anything technique-wise, just kind of, you know, sit-ups and push-ups and jogging and, pull, you know, all these other things. But I have a tendency to believe he's either got a training partner or in some way, shape, or form, has been really working on his takedown defense and his wrestling. I know that they've been doing that, you know, religiously at CKB to try to, you know, I mean, Izzy has shown incredible improvements over the course of his uh, last few fights. Obviously, not holding up against Jan Blakovich, the next weight-up champion, but other than that, it's been pretty incredible. So I actually am going to go with the huge underdog in this spot, I think, you know, if he can continue to work and continue to make Makachev work, being most likely the biggest opponent Makachev has had to face and deal with in terms of, like, 
over a course of a grueling fight trying to continue to pursue the takedown. If Dan Hooker can continue to fight back, continue to circle off the fence and make Makachev work, somebody's going to get to the point where they're just completely exhausted. And I think late in the fight, late in the third round, Dan Hooker's going to be able to come alive, hurt Makachev, maybe even with the desperate takedown, one of those knees up the middle, and then rock him, put him on the ground, and either submit him or finish him off with some ground and pound. So I'm going with Dan Hooker, third round finish, and I'll go third round uh, TKO. Which now brings us to the co-main event, the Bantamweight Interim Championship on the line between Pewter Yawn, No Mercy Yawn versus the Sandman, Corey Sanhagen. 14-3, Sanhagen versus 15-2, Peter Yawn. Uh, Peter Yawn winning four out of his last fight. His last fight was that disqualification due to the illegal knee to uh, Aljamain Sterling. And Aljamain Sterling, not able to recover from his next surgery, is sitting this one out. So they're making an interim Bantamweight title fight. Corey Sanhagen is coming off that recent loss, which a lot of people thought he won against TJ Dillashaw, that five-round fight. And it's my opinion that Corey Sanhagen is in his prime, and he is firing on all cylinders. Probably a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of the way that last fight went as far as the decision. And I think that that plus the opportunity for him to finally fight for the actual championship, which, yeah, it's an interim strap, but I think most people in the community and Corey himself definitely feel like Peter Yan is the ap the real actual champion and, and definitely the most difficult fight in the division. So I feel like Corey Sanhagen, when he's on, when he's locked in, when he's laser-focused like he was, like, in, for instance, in the Marlon Marais fight, that he's the absolute best in the division, and he's got the length and the height that's uh, unmatched in this division. And I think if he can go out there and perform to the best of his ability, uh, he's going to string along the fight. He's going to have to stay patient because Purion is a somewhat of a slow starter. He likes to conserve his energy as well. He likes to counter and kind of feel out his opponent, see what they're doing, and then eventually down the stretch uh, utilize you know a little bit more power and a little bit more aggression at, since he's kind of you know paced himself throughout the earlier rounds. And also one other thing that a lot of people have been uh, pointing out and talking about that one of the bigger uh, liabilities that Corey Sanhagen has at least shown uh, results-wise in his fights was that devastating loss against Aljamain Sterling where he was taken down and controlled really early on in the fight and submitted so a lot of people think that this is going to be a liability that Peter Yan's going to be able to exploit he's going to be able to exploit the wrestling and I admit that in that fight against Aljamain Sterling who's known for his grappling uh, Peter Yan at certain points was just literally ragdolling him so um, that's very impressive and he's he's uh what's the word like people who have trained with him say he's he's um unsuspectingly strong he's you know, it's, it's like he doesn't seem like he would be as strong as he is for his size and everything like that. So I definitely think it is something that San Hagen's uh, camp coaches and approach game plan is going to have to take into consideration. And they're not going to want to spend long periods of time in grappling exchanges or up against the fence or even, you know, in the grappling battles that could drain each other's gas tanks. Because Peter Yan, again, is known for coming on stronger as the fight progresses. So you don't want to really be in a battle of attrition down in those fourth and fifth rounds if you don't have to be. So um, it, I think it's, it is going to play out like that where it's going to the momentum is going to continue to build and San Diego is going to have to continue to stay quick on his bike and uh, utilize angles and stick and use that length and, you know, use kicks and other things to, to try to pick apart and not necessarily point fight, but just be techni more technical and keep things at a range, like a kick range, leg range, and just outside the range for Peter Yan to uh, be able to get inside and do damage or get a hold of, of Sanhagen. Uh, the one thing that Peter Yan also does have is he's got lightning quick reflexes. He's very, very fast, especially when he decides to go. 
So that's one thing that San Diego is going to have to look out for. Sometimes that slow start of Peter Yon can somewhat lull his opponents into thinking that he's not as fast as he is, and when he does decide to go, he can catch people off guard, and he hits extremely hard for his size. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of dangers that uh, San Diego has to look out for. But, again, when he's laser-focused and locked in, I think he's got amazing vision, and he can utilize uh, all of his different attributes. And, again, that footwork coming from both stances, and he's got what I would consider to be like the refined, updated version of a combination between Dominic Cruz's original style and stance of switching uh, footwork, but without the, all the excess, excess movement and actually a little bit of T.J. Dillashaw in that sense as well. So I think Sanhagen needs to make sure to not fall into the same trap that Aljo did in terms of like start maybe has a little bit of success early in the fight, starts to get off you know, and, and land some shots. You don't want him to kind of overdo it and extend his gas tank to the point where he, he puts himself at a liability because that's kind of what happened when Peter Young was still there after Aljo unloaded like an ungodly amount of strikes in those first few rounds. Uh, Aljo had literally nothing left for him. So Sanhagen, I think, needs to be comfortable extending the fight over 25 minutes and not looking for the finish. If it comes, it comes. But I'm going with the underdog in this spot, Corey Sanhagen, to be the and new interim bantamweight champion of the world. And he gets it done by decision. And now, finally, we've arrived at the main event, 4.55 in the morning, a little bit earlier, like by 10 minutes from last week. But Jan Blakovich is taking on Glover Teixeira in the light heavyweight championship of the world. The reigning champion, 28-8, and eight, Jan Blakovich is going off at a minus 245 favorite. And the comeback is plus 225 for the 32-7 and seven Glover Teixeira, which is just amazing. Another one of these Benjamin Button type characters. Glover Teixeira has uh, quietly strung together a five-fight winning streak. This late in his career, he's 42 years old, facing Jan Blakovich, who's also got at least five wins in a row. So this fight on paper actually looks quite competitive. And the odds, you know, it's not the largest spread, although it's moderate, you know, both ways, which I do think is fair if, if you look at it on paper. But, I mean, as, as much as I want to go with old man Teixeira, and I really do think he's in the best shape of his entire career, which is incredible to say at this stage and at this age, uh, but he's, he's, he's too chinny. He's been around the game for too long. He takes too many shots during his fights. Every single fight, there is a point in time where he gets rocked and he has to shoot for an ankle, shoot for a leg. And by God, does he always seem to get it? His opponents end up losing the fight by trying to finish him. If they would just rock him, step back, make him get up again, they could easily finish the fight several times over in the last few of his fights. But by God, again, they always just try to go in and finish the fight on the ground, giving to share the ability to recover, grab a single leg, get to a dominant position because he continues to wrestle completely by instinct, even when he's damn near unconscious. And he'll just wrestle, 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 get on top, and then eventually you're tired from trying to finish him, and then he'll end up grounding, pounding your ass to oblivion and choking you out. So it's kind of amazing how this seems to work every single time, but every single time he does seem to get rocked really bad at some point before this sequence of events seems to play out. And I think Jan Blakovich is a lot smarter than he, he plays off. I think he likes to be goofy and make people think that he's you know not that intelligent, intelligent of a fighter. But especially if you watch back that Israel Adesanya fighter, who we all completely agree is one of the most sophisticated strikers in the sport, you got to know that Jan Blakovich is a very intelligent fighter, and he's going to know that this is the kind of uh, thing that ends up happening in, in a lot of Tessera's previous fights, and he's got the power to take him out on the feet, and he's just probably going to use his length because he does have a size advantage. He does uh, a slight reach advantage by two inches, and on paper it says they're both 6'2", so same height. Uh, but I just think, unfortunately, 
uh, for Teixeira. You know, that same sequence is, is going to play out in this case, but Bakovic is going to understand, like, I just got to step back. I just got to keep striking uh, from a distance. He might even, like, be able to ground and pound him, like, from the feet, just not, you know, allow Teixeira to get a hold of him and to recover which a lot of his previous opponents have allowed him to do. So in the end, as much as it pains me to do it, I'd love to have the story of uh, Glover Teixeira finally getting the belt this late in his career and, you know, retiring off into the sunset. Uh, that'd be amazing and uh, a heartfelt, heartwarming story, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that Jan Blakovich is going to get it done. I think he's going to put him away inside the distance, probably early, either first or second round. Um, I think it might take a moment or two to open up just because there's going to be a a lot of potential energy there, and you know they're going to feel each other out a little bit in the first round. So I'll go second round TKO, and still king of the light heavyweights. And uh, I think also, sadly, we're probably going to see uh, Glover Teixeira potentially retire after this. This is, is most likely his last chance ever at UFC gold, and he's had a storied career and a, an amazing fighter, and uh, he's provided with a lot of uh, amazing nights over the years. So you know I'm looking forward to seeing this fight and. Uh, I kind of, it's one of those things where you go into it going like, I hope it's quick. hope it's quick and painless because uh, I hate to see all these old dogs go out on their back. And uh, who knows? I hope he I hope he proves me wrong. I'd love to be wrong in this spot. But the pick in the main event is Jan Blahovich for the win. But that wraps it up, guys. That finishes it. 15 fights, man. That's a fucking headache. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. I've been on a pretty decent run. I might switch up a few after I take a look at the weigh-ins and things like that. But for the most part lately... Uh, the instant kind of gut picks I've done on the show have been the ones that I've stuck with and I've been killing it. So we'll see how it goes this week. But make sure to tune in next week. We got another monster card, probably the most stacked card of the fourth quarter. We got UFC 268 coming from MSG, Madison Square Garden. We got Bobby Green facing Ally Quinta, Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. That's going to be 100% violence. And then two rematches for titles up at the top of the bill. Rose Namajunas facing Wiley Zhang in the women's strawweight title fight and welterweight bad blood rematch between Kamaru Usman versus Colby Chaos Covington. So all kinds of crazy action going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. So make sure to come back and tune in for all the recaps coming out of UFC 267 and as we look ahead and do the picks for UFC 268. But that's it. Thank you guys again so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. If you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got DreamLog Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter, Upper Glass Tent, Eating Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirtsmith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System. Mac Noodles Abachi Chef. Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care. Socks Meals. Angie Snyder. And of course, they love Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check them out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. The first class is always free. Tell them the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week, same time and same place, enjoy the fights.